Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. BWI Live, I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Welcome to the show. A big Monday for Penn State football after some some impressive performances in the divisional round of the playoff from former Penn State football players. We'll be getting to that in just a little bit, including maybe some things that we can learn for Penn State football to take out of uh, last weekend's games. And of course, we'll be talking about Penn State topics unrelated to the NFL. Uh, but guys, I am here physically. You're going to have to carry the show today. Uh, I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Dave Eckert, Nate Bauer here. Uh, the long-suffering Bills fan, as you can see, is uh, kind of, you know, morbidly walking through Monday. So guys, that's how I'm doing. How are you doing, Nate? I'm I'm just pleased to not see you in a straight jacket today. <laughs> I have... <laughs> I, uh, you don't know this, but I was sending the other guys texts during the game asking if we should all be checking in on you individually. <laughs> you know, the roller coaster, it was it felt like too much for any human, let alone a person with your passion. So I, I haven't seen the win. You know, the win probability chart that they do with like, uh, you yeah. know, based on uh, events in a game. I imagine it looks like what my heart rate looked like there at the end in the final 45 seconds where it's like the Chiefs, the Bills, the Chiefs, the Bills, the Chiefs. So that's about what it was last night. Uh, but we're going to get to some things in that game that I think are translatable to Penn State football because I'm not going to just, you know, it's my party and I, I can cry if I want to. We're going to actually make this related to Penn State football. And I think coaching is a really interesting part of last night because you had two and, and people are calling this, not, not me, people are calling this the greatest playoff game they've ever seen. That was the instant analysis from the guys on CBS last night, was that that was the greatest playoff game we've seen between two of the greatest quarterback performances. So, when those things are equal, what happens with the play calling, the coaching, and all of those things? I think that's going to be, I think that's a super insightful conversation to have about Penn State football, James Franklin's role on the field, and some of those taken for granted or obvious things. I think people tend to think those conversations are pretty obvious post-mortem. I never really think that way. We'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, one of the things I do want to start with today is your BWI roundtable from, I believe it was Friday, where you had a great topic, great conversation uh, amongst you and Greg Pickle, and I wasn't invited, um, Sorry. about the, the, the Penn State offseason. Stock up, stock down, or neutral so uh dave i want to start with you what is your criteria that you are basing your answer on when it comes to uh how you feel about penn state so far this offseason with as much change as they've had yeah i think the criteria was just that change right um there's been a lot of it 
specifically on defense. Um, obviously, Brent Pry is the headliner, but then you look at some of the, the players that Penn State is losing on defense. Um, and that, to me, I think kind of carried my argument. Uh, I, I went stock down, I guess, for, for that reason, just because of the guys that they're losing and, I guess, the absence of meaningful transfer portal additions, really. Um, and, and, you know, Brent Pry, too, right? I mean, I think Manny Diaz is a good hire. I've said that, I think, a few times on this show. But, you know, you're replacing you, you, the guy who led your defense to be a top-10 defense last year, and that's never easy. So, um yeah, I guess that's kind of where I'm at. So, Nate, with that in mind, uh, how do you view, because I know we've talked a lot about the change so far this season. First off, what are you laughing about? There's no joy uh, today. Yeah, no, I mean, it just, Dave, it, you know, it's it's change. You're right. It's, I don't know. It's very Are you curious. laughing at the fire extinguisher in my background? Is that no, what you're laughing at? No, no, no. <laughs> just... It's just your your matter of factness in the stock down just it gave me a little bit of a laugh. <laughs> but no, so, continue, T Frank. Ask me the burning question. What? Okay. Uh, stock up, stock down, or neutral? I'll get down. right to it. Down. <laughs> down. No, I I I think that there are there is opportunity for people who aren't known yet really to the Penn State community that's players and coaches and right like internal support staff who never really are known to Penn State fans but matter nonetheless I, I just think that there's a vacuum uh there right now and so with vacuums it's a matter of who are the people who who fill them and what are the qualities that they bring what's the Right. What's the the aura that that they can bring to the table? And to me, I see a, a program that like I, I actually ended up writing a column about it for our magazine that if you're James Franklin today and you're looking around the halls of the Lash building, it right. Like it has to be very different. <laughs> it has to be very different. Not having Dwight Galt who he's known and worked with dating back to Maryland for 20 years ish and directly together at Vanderbilt for the last 11, right. Between uh, Vanderbilt and Penn state, uh, Brent Pry, who's been on the staff at Vanderbilt and Penn state dating back 11 years. Mike Hazel is an internal support staff guy who went to Virginia tech with Brent Pry, but like, these are the kind of things that aren't, again, they're, they're not at the forefront of everybody's minds, but Mike Hazel was a major sounding board for, for, for James Franklin uh, in any facet that you can think of direction that you want to go with uh, your, your forward facing program and then stuff behind the scenes. So like to lose that much in one span of five or six weeks, to James Franklin personally, I, I feel like has to be a lot, but that doesn't mean that Manny Diaz, uh, like Dave said, right? Uh, uh, Losi, Chuck Losi in, in the the strength staff, right? Like there there are other opportunities for these guys to fill in and um, you know start, help to bridge that gap and create a seamless transition and and you name it and really in a lot of ways reinvent what what Penn State football is right now. Um, you yeah. know, moving forward. I think that there, there is an opportunity there. 
So that is going to be, that's a really interesting question. And by the way, Justin, uh, one of the good things about Mondays, appreciate that, uh, the comments in uh, the chat. So if you want to get any questions on the show, I meant to start with this. Uh, I always get, I got distracted. Sorry about uh, thinking about Josh Allen again. Uh, if you want to get any questions in on the chat, just throw them in there. If you want to support the channel, uh, we're always open to Super Chat donations. And uh, if you do that, we'll absolutely answer your question. We'll make sure we get to it. And if you're enjoying the BWI live show like Justin, if you come back here on Mondays to watch, make sure you like the video and you share it uh, so that we get uh, a good show here today. We can get enough questions to satisfy your thoughts and curiosities. I'm going to be the only optimist here, apparently. Uh, and, and this is purely on the fact that it's an incomplete grade because we don't know about some of the transfer portal churn and uh, roster turnover in that particular area. Now, Nate, you make some great points about, uh, you know, the offseason unseen staff. That is a huge vacuum that has to be over overcome somehow. But as far as the talent on the football field, which is obviously where I focus most of my time viewing, there is potential next year for the defense to be relatively the same. You're not going to have anybody replace Jaquan Brisker, but you've got good talent there in the secondary still. You have some high-level corners that, if they take the next step, could be great. That's the start of a great defense. You have to have that coverage skill. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, does it get worse? Could it get worse? I think with the, with the players that are developing in the program, some of the turnover on the offensive line... That's where the caveat is. The transfer portal is obviously huge to Penn State when it comes to that particular position, so we don't know that answer yet. But with Mitchell Tinsley coming in, with the development of some of their players, I do think we're going to see a step forward from some of these young guys that were inconsistent last year. So I'm going to say, just from a pure development and growth standpoint, the stock has to be up. Because last year, I think we saw the parts and pieces didn't fit together on offense. So there's always room to grow there. And if Penn State, when they were not good with 7-6, and six, then next season I think, you know, they are better than that. So, Nate, I want to come back to you with one quick question. You talk yep. about change. You talk about those guys not being there. How much is there a need for fresh blood and ideas, and how much is there a need for advancement and growth within the Penn State program? And is are those two things related? Yeah, certainly from the coaching staff perspective, I think that you can maintain what I don't see happening is James Franklin going back to the drawing board and throwing away what he considers his formula for success in, in the football program. Right? Genuinely, I, I the the explosive plays, uh, bend but don't break, turnover, uh, emphasis, like, I don't see that changing into thinking, oh, well, it didn't work this past year. And so we're just going to take the personnel that we've recruited for the last eight years and uh, 100% shift direction. Like, that's not going to happen. However, yeah, new, new perspectives help. New perspectives on the, on the coaching staff help. And really, you know, part of college football is players aren't supposed to be ready as freshmen, not, not on a broad scale. Yeah. They're just not. And so we, we, there, there is this inevitability from certainly the media, but fans as well. And it may, I would argue probably especially fans that the loss of 
right? The natural attrition of filtering out of a program that happens because you know it makes you feel safe. And there's like, a, oh, well, this person's gone. And so how, do you, how can you possibly replace them? Well, that's the point. <laughs> the whole point yeah. is that there have been players who got half of the reps or a quarter of the reps as that guy up top, right? Or somebody who's gotten 100% of the reps at a different school who you've never seen. We have never seen Mitchell Tinsley. Like, who has watched a Western Kentucky football game? None of us. I don't think. Not live on right? television. No, right. I have not watched one live on television willingly. I've only right. ever watched them for business practices. Dave, I want to get to I want to get to you about that point that Nate just made because you did an awesome article and you went in and you charted everything out when it comes to scholarships, where Penn State stands at each position. What were your takeaways? What were your finds when you did that? You're muted. You're right. I was muted. Sorry. They're they're plowing my driveway at a very inconvenient time, and it's very loud. Just um, want to say, but, I want I, I do appreciate your Zoom etiquette of yeah. muting yourself when you're not talking, <laughs> but we do need you to talk now. So thank you. Yeah, I, I'll I'll work on that. Um, yeah, I guess you know it's 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 a little bit heavier um, toward the bottom. I, there's a lot of freshmen and redshirt freshmen. Um, Penn State, I think, especially on defense, was very experienced this year. Um, and they're going to lose that. Um, but you know, I guess, you know, as far as like the general attrition conversation, right. I guess my hesitation uh, in listing that as a reason for optimism is that if you look at the attrition that's happening, I think a lot of the attrition is in areas that were good or great. <laughs> right. So if, if you think about right, Penn state's defense was awesome. They're losing their defensive coordinator. Um, Penn State's strength staff, I think, um, was considered to be a very positive thing about this program, especially from a recruiting perspective as it relates to um, how guys tested at the NFL draft and, and the combine and stuff. So they're losing that. Um, so, you know, I, I, attrition, I agree with Nate's point that, that it's natural, but I just, I guess I look at where it's happening for this team and it doesn't seem like it's happening in, in, in places that they're going to be able to reliably get the same thing that they were getting before. And I guess tying that back into the, the stock up and down, you know, estimation that we made, that's why I made the choice that I did. Um, but yeah, uh, you're, you're, I agree with the overall point, right? Like that's natural in college football. Um, and, and it's part of what's fun, right? I, I mean, the, the nice thing about college football is that, I don't have to watch Michigan have Aaron Rodgers for 20 years, you know, <laughs> like, um, yep. <laughs> so I think that's, it's going to be interesting to see how all of this kind of plays itself out. Um, but I'm just worried about where it's happening, I guess. Uh, Zach asks, is it likely we could have some big, uh, uh, impact transfer portal guys who could they be aside from Mitchell Tinsley he's all I've really heard of because that as we've talked about a couple times here and on the BWI daily edition Zach that the portal for Penn State is essentially closed for the semester because classes have started and nobody can enroll at Penn State currently but that doesn't mean that guys can't announce they want to come to 
Happy Valley, and it doesn't mean that guys can't choose Penn State, but if they wanted to enroll, say, like Des Holmes at Arizona State last week, that's all happening in other places that have different academic calendars. So that's why you haven't heard any news. Um, one guy, Hunter Norzad, is a big get for Penn State football. We've talked about him a bunch of times. He is an offensive lineman, interior player, a couple other guys in the portal. That's a great thing to ask, though, Zach, because if you want to get the inside information on what's going on almost minute-to-minute, day-to-day, bluewhiteillustrated.com, sign up for just $1. It is well worth your dollar. In the first day, it's worth your dollar, and then you get inside information from the people who know and the sources that are connected to tell you more about what's going on in the portal. So, uh, Dave, if there is more portal action, and I know that the we're, you know, we, we, we'll separate the strength staff and some of the off-field stuff, and let's focus on, on the guys on the football field. If there's sure. positive movement in the portal, say they get a Hunter Norzat or somebody like that, does that change any way your opinion of the overall movement by the program up and down? Definitely, for sure. Does that change it to uh, go from down to up? Is that enough to overcome some of the other things? It might get me to neutral. Okay. Um, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly the offensive line, right? If they can address the offensive line, because, I mean, we're not breaking any news here. That was the problem for the offense. That was the major point of contention throughout the whole season. So if they can get some reinforcements there, then all of a sudden I think you've changed the picture to the offseason a little bit. So certainly, uh, yeah, if, if that happens, you've got to reevaluate things for sure. An important caveat to this conversation is that there will be many stock watches between now and <laughs> September. Yeah. Right? Oh, and we're going to so... get into it in the spring. That's going to be, the... a, yeah. The the middle of January stock watch, you know, I think naturally coming off it, we wouldn't be doing our jobs if it wasn't down right now. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I understand hope springs eternal after a season, but just given some of the results, you can understand why it would be here now. And, and everybody loves an underdog. So, you know, <laughs> I think they were underdogs either way already, Nate, <laughs> the, the stock, the stock will start to climb as it always does. Time to the, buy now is what you're saying, season. right? You want to invest, now. you want to invest in the Valley. So you reap the benefit at the peak. Uh, so smart Dave, I'm going to go back to that, uh, article that Dave did because it was visually, he broke it down so you could see each position by their, uh, you know, the players at the position and then the grade, what year they are in the program. And it is illuminating because it's something that I've talked about that JC is talking about here. Does the transfer portal college football playoff and early signing period create a permanent whitewater for all college football teams? Or is this magnified at Penn State? It's everywhere. This is you don't have the middle section of your depth chart. I, I you know, I want this to be a permanent link over at bluewhiteillustrated.com on our front page of Dave's article because it is visually, you see it. There is no middle class. There are no middle classes to Penn State's roster because they all transfer out. You either get playing time or you move on. So there is no real way to avoid playing young players anymore. It's just inevitable. Either you replace in the portal or you have talented freshmen that have immediate translatable skills or within the first year they're redshirt freshmen and they're playing so the years of playing redshirt juniors and having physically mature teams 
that may be over unless you're one of those great teams that can find all the answers at all times. Penn State has yet to find that, and I think this is the rocky part of not being in the portal to start. But everyone's finding their way through this. Uh, Dave, Dave or Nate, is, is there a counter to this argument, or do you feel differently about this? I would just point out that I think that the offensive line is an area where maybe there there's an exception there. That, that you know, because I, I, I mean, Penn State isn't playing a ton of young offensive linemen. They've got a ton of yeah. redshirt sophomore offensive linemen who we really haven't seen. But other than that, totally agree. But should they have? That's another thing that I think Penn State fans were up in arms about when they saw the way that Landon Tangwall played at the end of the season, which we can go nine rounds on that conversation about Veyu and other true freshmen who maybe played that well because they didn't play. But is that, a, is that an area where maybe James Franklin has to update his feelings on that, Nate? If you've got a guy who's six foot six, three twenty, and plays the way that we saw from Tangwall. Yeah, but I, I don't know that you can guarantee or even really know whether or not that would have happened in week two, right? Right. I mean, because that's that's the question that we're asking is, w- would things have been different if Tangwall was in the game at Iowa? Because there really weren't, for what it's worth, all that many complaints the first five games of the season. Five and oh, like yeah. there were holes and there were flaws, but the offensive line didn't become this mat. The running game was an issue. Yeah. But I'm just trying to make sure that we don't have revisionist history here. The offensive line was not seen as being a major hindrance until Sean Clifford got hurt. And then things changed. It became a disaster. You're saying, Um, and I I want to clarify what you're saying here, because I think it's important to, to some people who are going to jump on that and say they were bad at running the ball all year. The offensive line was a problem all year. You're saying they found ways to win with that offensive line and they found ways to move the football. You're not saying that it was fine for the first month of the season. You're saying it operated well, right? Yeah. Well, I I mean, I think I think a couple of things were going on. One, I think that defenses at the beginning of the season thought that coming out off of last year with very limited film to work with at the beginning of the year that you have to make Sean Clifford beat you, right? You're not going to let Noah Kane beat you. And so there was an emphasis. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I, maybe I'm way off base here, but the defenses were positioned to limit what Penn state was doing on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was so, it, well, no, there, there's the first game of the season. Sure. Wisconsin was selling out to stop the run and doing exactly what you're talking about. But by the Auburn game, teams were playing coverage against Penn State and saying, you can't run the ball, so now we're going to play too deep and we're going to keep soft coverage and keep everything in front of us because we know that we are going to win in the box with those numbers. Yeah. And Penn but State then- was never able to generate big plays because of that. Like, but you had a you had a weird opponent in Villanova who yeah. understanding the, the differences there, but like that's a weird opponent in that yeah. they were like number one in the country in stopping the run at their level of football this season. Like they were very good at that. They had a good linebacker. They had a good defensive front. That was what they did. So in any case, we don't need to relitigate this. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I would. I, I know. What else are we gonna do? No, I, I just think that I just think uh, per the portal. Yes. Right, 
and what I see moving forward. I don't know if this fits James. Forget the young guys who hit, right? It's the young guys who don't hit. Mm -hmm. I think that what needs to happen at Penn State and is probably happening in many other places is identifying your misses early. Yeah. Figure out who isn't a fit. Figure out who who you're just not going to connect on. And the development path, the trajectory for that player, you right? Like, I mean, people talk about it all the time that it's the hardest position to project. It's the hardest position to have a real feel for uh, from the high school level. But once you get your hands on them and once you get to start working with them, I think it becomes fairly clear early in their careers how what the ceiling is for some of these guys. Yeah. And so the, the, the second part of it is, all right, you might not feel great about this and it might uh, feel dirty and icky and not in the essence of what college football is supposed to be about, but steal the good ones from the lesser programs Yep, who, who have played football and have advanced in their careers. Pick them off. Go raid the Mac. Take, I mean, that's what you're go saying, raid right? Go the Mac. Yep. Go. And, and you know, it, it's interesting because we seem to keep talking about these Ivy League guys on the offensive line. I don't know that that's it. I don't know that that's the spot. Yeah. Uh, uh, right. I get you want smart guys. Fine. And mature guys, physically mature guys who have played the game. But there are programs that have quality talent that have good players on the offense, on their offensive lines who are ready to step in and play right away. And if you can get them for a year or two, now you're in business and it you don't have to take that approach to really the rest of the roster. You don't, you don't have to necessarily do that because you can develop in other areas and you can have guys play instantly as receivers and cornerbacks and safeties, what have you. But specific to the offensive line, that feels very much to be a situation where if you better adapt, like you better figure out what your approach is going to be moving forward. And more often than not, 22 and 23-year-olds are going to hold up better on the offensive line than some of their 18 year old counterparts. Uh, one guy that did flash early and uh, maybe didn't in the end produce that way. And as you, you just kind of talked about Daniel George enters the transfer portal. Um, you wrote a, you wrote a story about Daniel George. What, what lessons do you learn from situations like that? Um, and mind you, you I know, asked you a, I asked you a question that I intend to answer. So yeah, well, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't like the way this sounds, but I'm going to say it anyway. You know, there's like a fool's gold element to it. Of hey, it looks right and it's shiny, and there's even a 95 yard record setting touchdown in the stat page <laughs> that you can very easily gloss over the fact that it happened in the fourth quarter of a 63 to 10 game. And so some of what happened in his career and how things projected from there, I mean, it, it's a, it was a, it started okay. And kind of went down from there. So I, I just, I'm not sure that, that um, 
I, I think it's good for everybody, right? Like Daniel George doesn't belong at Penn State, and Penn State probably doesn't have a use for Daniel George at this point, given the fact that there were opportunities for him to step into again. I keep using this word vacuum, but yeah, there was a vacuum at receiver. There, there, there was no shortage of opportunity for anyone at receiver to step in and absolutely demonstrate that they belonged. And that just, it just didn't happen for him. Yeah. So uh, it's just interesting that how I think this cycle goes, and I'm not saying that it is necessarily a one to, you know, an A to B sort of thing that happened, but Penn state was, was finding all of these big physical boundary receivers for a while, all the way back to Irv Charles and um, you know, Chris Godwin, Juwan Johnson in that role. And Daniel George, Justin Shorter. Justin Shorter, Daniel George had that ability and he showed it on a couple of plays early in his career. And you think, okay, great. They've got another guy who's going to contribute in that way. Maybe even if he doesn't reach the level of some of those other guys, like a Saeed Blacknall. But you got to be like, this is one of those things where football, as much as the physical stuff matters, and it absolutely matters, the mental stuff matters just as much concentration, catching the football, being in the right position, consistency, not making mistakes is the is one of the best ways to, to get on the football field. And, uh, you know, those big flashes early to get everyone excited. I that was one of my lessons learned is temper your expectations based on what you know about a player's physical abilities and let the story kind of take its course because there were a couple of guys and and he's just one because that that play was Sean Clifford, your backup quarterback, to Jan- Daniel George, your freshman receiver, and it felt like the next generation. And you can get wrapped up in that, but you just that's one of the lessons you got to learn about that. Now JC asks a question here in the chat. Appreciate him contributing to the show. Um, are we trailing in the NIL game? That's a for sure thing for Penn State. Is State College part of the problem? That's one thing that we've kind of touched on, danced around, but I don't think we've ever really addressed is the population density, not being in a major city. Dave, do you think that that is a major hindrance to Penn State and NIL? I think it's probably a factor. Um, I, you know, it's not like they're Minnesota in Minneapolis or Ohio State in Columbus, right? Um, clearly, there are areas where there is more opportunity but i also think you know specifically as it relates to like minnesota maybe not ohio state um you know those areas also have more competition right like if you are a bank in minnesota do you want carl anthony towns or the gophers fullback you know (laughs) (laughs) uh so i i think that does kind of go both ways maybe not in columbus which i think is kind of unique because it's it they've got the the blue jackets and the crew but really ohio state is the thing there and it's a major city um and i don't think that's really a common situation um but yeah um you know i i don't necessarily think that the nil thing is is limited to what's available in town i think a lot of it is social media related um if you have a considerable social media reach, you will be paid by whoever um, who is trying to reach Penn State fans. And I think that because Penn State has one of the largest alumni uh, groups in the world, there is considerable potential there for Penn State to tap into. Yeah. Um, it's just a matter of doing it correctly. And I think Nate 
probably has more perspective on, on whether or not they're doing that than I do um, yeah. at this point. But yeah, I want to go to you about that. Cause that's, that's a really good point uh, because that's another thing that on three has been talking about and what we, what we've launched with the, with the um, NIL evaluation tool. And that's kind of the next edge and the next frontier in all of this stuff, right? Nate. And how do you view size of a market versus the size of the internet? Yeah, I don't, I don't think market size matters in terms of audience. I think market size matters in terms of business, right? Like um, technology, just kind of what I'm getting at is there, there is a benefit of having like unique businesses in your area that aren't like mm-hmm. forget restaurants forget forget yeah. uh car dealers like i'm not saying that those things won't matter and can't matter they can and they do but the deal at miami right last week in which a i'm gonna mess this up but like a a guy who has a business that sells heart monitoring software slash something, right? Like that's the, it's a health, it's a health app slash device. That's what you want. (laughs) That's what you want is you, you want, you want two things. One, you want very wealthy people who own businesses and are prioritizing the success of the program, right? Just, so which one just, has to improve more, the State College Airport or 99's accessibility to the rest of the country? <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Because, I mean, what, we're ta- what you're talking about is making state college. Like, it then does become I, I about mean, state college being a non-traditional uh, sort of area for companies and businesses because it is harder to access, as, ben- as James Franklin has talked about, because of its yeah, but- relative remoteness compared to other cities. I don't I don't know if that necessarily matters though because I think what I'm what I'm strongly suggesting is that this is just a way to provide money to the program. And so the, the they're not actually banking on like you're not selling this health device, right? Like it it's a matter of does does Penn State have business leaders? Are there people in the Penn State community who have the pool, right? Who are the CEO, yeah, who are gotcha. the person who gets to make the call, who own their own business, who get to say, yeah, I, I have $500,000 that I don't mind not getting a full return on. And I own this business and I would be thrilled to have whoever, right? Like the entirety of Penn State's defensive line or defense to represent that every single year, right? Like, uh, yeah, uh, to do, to do events, to do 
charity out whatever whatever the situation is so where does where does penn state stand in that aspect because it does not seem like that is at least from the surface level of what i've seen that does not seem like an advantage for penn state despite their large alumni base is that a fair assessment or do i just not know what i don't know i don't think that penn state and this is people are gonna get mad at me so here we go I don't think Penn State fans, on the whole, have come to terms with the reality that you're going to have to pay for it yep. moving forward. That is autograph signings. That is all of the stuff that come wrapped up in a nice little bow of what the college athletic experience is don't exist anymore. And so if you – it's not – necessarily about the community at large. I mean, certainly I think that you're seeing some forward thinking groups in terms of Ohio state having like, a, I mean, it's, it's a slush fund. That's what we're talking about is yeah. pulling a bunch of different resources, all donating a thousand bucks, 500 bucks, 250 bucks, whatever it is to provide this annual growing fund from which to divvy out uh, you know, endorsement deals, whatever you want to call it, right? But you're, it's an avenue to pay players. I don't think that Penn State as a whole has come to terms with that being the way that this is going to go. Um, and until that changes, I I don't think this is something that you're going to see today, right? Like you, right. there are bits and pieces. There are, there are stories floating around that are going to flash across your screen. But... It will matter in a very real and significant way within the next five years. Like five years from now, if you don't have an infrastructure in place to fund and organize this on an on a real tangible scale, look, not good. <laughs> not good. I would say you even stuck the landing there. That's why we do this show. BWI Live here on YouTube. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. I'll remind you again, if you're enjoying the conversation, if you're enjoying Nate Bauer telling you you got to pay for it, hit the like button because you don't have to pay for this, guys. This is still free. We're on YouTube. We're giving you golden insight like that into Penn State, the future of football. And speaking of the NFL and having to pay for it, Let's talk about the divisional round because I think that that is a fair assessment, Nate, to say that Penn State fans are not really emotionally okay with the transition of college football being high school part two to NFL part one. And that thing is something that is a real and, and, and sticky problem. But the NFL, I think, as somebody who grew up Liking the NFL first and loving, you know, loving uh, college football as a as a job and a profession. I don't have a problem with the money. I don't have a problem with any of those things because I understood it all from the beginning. Uh, but what we saw in the divisional round, I think, is the highest form of football in a bunch of different ways this weekend. Uh, and that's kind of what I want to transition to about talking about football at a high level and some of the decisions and some of the things that happened over the weekend. But let's start with an easy introduction. Uh, Dave, you write every week about the NFL players that are former Penn State Nittany Lions. Who stood out to you this weekend and who are the guys that excelled on the football field for their their respective NFL teams? Yeah, I, I think the obvious one is Robbie Gould. 
um, right? He makes a a forty, I think it was forty five yard uh, game winning kick against the Packers. And as a Vikings fan, I absolutely ate that up. It was delicious. Um, he in the snow at Lambeau. It was great. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, uh, another guy that you got to bring up is Nick Scott, who I thought yep. was great. And he's, you know, I guess just on like a personal level, Nick Scott is awesome, right? If you've ever gotten the chance to talk to Nick Scott, your day is always better after speaking to Nick Scott. So I just, and I'm he really had one of the best him. beards I've ever seen. Like yes. that thing was glorious. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so Nick Scott was really awesome this weekend. You're right. Sorry, continue. Yeah, he had a pick against Tom Brady. I think five tackles. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think he's only got like four career starts at safety, and I think three of them are in the playoffs, um, which is interesting. Uh, and then I think Adrian Amos had a pick uh, for the Packers, and he had a bit Kevin of an up and Kittle. down day because he was having to cover yeah. the best tight end in football. Yeah, yeah. Covering George Kittle isn't easy. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, certainly some headlines uh, for the Penn State guys. And I think Penn State probably had a little bit of a quieter wild card round than you might have expected. So it was good to see good to see some guys uh, really make an impact. Oh, Nick Scott had a great PBU against the, the Cardinals. So mm-hmm. I, I'm a little, I, I don't want to say I'm a little shocked because he was a good athlete at Penn State. But safety is a hard position to play. Uh, and, and, and he's playing it at least the last two weeks in a way that I wasn't expecting from him. I was expecting him to be that box safety and to play with physicality in the run game. He's making plays and coverage coming from the middle of the field and breaking up passes and playing with yeah. anticipation and speed. It's been it's been interesting to watch. Nate, you and I were talking about this a little bit earlier of how there feels like there's a bit of a change in the representation of Penn State at the NFL level, right? Yeah, I- at least to me, I'm not a person who actively follows the NFL. Certainly, you, you've got a much better handle on that. But what, certainly on Twitter, right, over the weekend, uh, most of my follows are, are Penn State adjacent or related or directly Penn State, right? And it, it was uh, plentiful, right like i mean the 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 stream of contributions of penn state players who made an impact in games just felt more relevant i mean dave you've been doing that that nfl recap all season um you know it's not just the superstars right The, the the huge name guys it's it's like just the actual scope of it has gotten bigger i mean maybe that that's my perception i'm not sure if that uh, is backed up by the facts or not but it, it kind of always felt to me doing those that you were talking about maybe 15 to 20 right like i mean 10 yeah. 10 years ago 15 years ago you were talking about 15 to 20 penn staters who may have been prominent but that was kind of the 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 entirety of penn state's representation i would yeah. guess it's in the high 30s 40s at this point it's around it's around i think 38 usually is what it typically is uh so yeah yeah and and, and yeah guys that you i think are it's different too in the fact that a lot of these guys are now james franklin recruits and former james franklin players and it's not the same stefan wisniewski's out there and you're seeing a couple guys that you've seen for a long time i i still donovan smith to me is is a funny one of like hey Technically, he played for James Franklin, but uh, not really. 
Um, so it, it's a really interesting thing to see a guy like Nick Scott play that way. And Nate, ask me why Nick Scott is playing that way. Be frank. What is it about Nick Scott that allows him to play this way? Dude, I don't know. <laughs> but so here's here's the thing. Here's the thing. Nick, th this is something I've been thinking about quite a bit. Uh, the last couple of weeks and kind of how the differences between the NFL and college football, especially given what we're going to talk about next, which, which is the Chiefs and the Bills, is that in the NFL, more teams play two high safeties, cover two, cover four, where you have two guys deep because the quarterbacks are so good consistently and you can push the ball down the field with more advanced football players across the board. In college football, you have to there is more emphasis on the short passing game using space and speed in the short area to create big plays and then the teams that just rip people apart are the ones that can throw the ball down the field with that threat still present. That's an Alabama thing what they've done with their speed at wide receiver is you have to cover the whole field and you just can't. So Nick Scott coming out of a, yes, Penn State lines up with two deep safeties a lot, but they're always rotating one into the box. One of the things that happened this past year is that Penn State was playing more two deep safeties, and they were, they were relying a little bit more on just the guys in underneath coverage, more so than I'd seen from Brent Pry. But Nick Scott, to, to kind of make this long point, is that Nick Scott was playing much more of a single high role in college, and he was the box safety. In the NFL, there's more opportunity for guys who are good athletes but not elite to play that deep coverage and cover a smaller area of the field, but that have to be transitioning between the front being down in the box and then deep, and he does have those skills. So that's why I think he has more opportunity at the NFL level. But really, when it comes to making those plays he made, I mean, he's just gotten better. He's just gotten better at football, so that's pretty cool. Uh, Want to talk about... You got go the goat. <laughs> got him. He... And that was Tom Brady's fault, by the way. Like, just based on watching it right off the bat. I mean, Nick Scott made a great play, but Tom Brady apparently never makes a bad throw. But that was not the best throw from Tom Brady. Uh, the game that I've been referencing all day is Bill's Chiefs. Um, I think they said 25 points in the final minute of that game. But one of the things that we came out of that game with was that Sean McDermott blew it for his team. Because Tony Romo said on the broadcast, I would have squib-kicked this. I disagree with this decision. So Sean McDermott, after the Bills score their go-ahead touchdown, 13 seconds left, they boot the ball out of the back of the end zone instead of squibbing the ball to take more time off the clock. Is that a coaching blunder in your opinion? Is that a lock, stone cold, like that was the wrong decision, Dave? Um. Yeah, I think Sean McDermott is the worst coach of all time. Um, he's clearly holding back his elite talent with uh, yeah. very bad decisions in crunch time and poor time management. Uh, but but no, I mean, I don't know. Like, if you think about it, right, where do you get the ball on average on a squib kick? Maybe like the 35, the 30? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So if you get the ball at the 35 with... 10 seconds left. Is that really that much different than the chiefs having the ball at like the 40 with eight seconds left? Like they ended up after that first play. Like, I don't know if it's this huge difference maker. Certainly it could have made a difference, but I don't think it's like this, like clear cut, you do this and you win the game. And you know, the miraculous Patrick Mahomes nonsense doesn't happen. Um, 
So yeah, I don't that's, know. That's, I, how, I, that's I, how today. That's exactly what we're talking about. That is that is at least a certain portion of people because of that particular conversation on TV that was then picked up by the the post game show. That's what everyone is agreeing about today. So Nate, relating this to Penn State. James Franklin in these situations, I guess the question is not, did he make the right decision or the wrong decision, but do we ever fully understand the factors that go into these decisions? Wow. No, of course not. Of course not. And he has brought that up individually in certain instances after games where he says, oh, you there's a group think that happens in mm -hmm. certainly the media, right? I mean, it's actually active in the press box. People don't, like, maybe this is interesting. Maybe it's not. No, this but is, this is super interesting to me. Yes, please. I want to talk about this in a second. When you're in the press box, someone says something or really it's kind of a virtual press box now with Twitter, mm -hmm. right? Somebody says something, it comes across. And people pick up on it. And it's like this slow-moving tsunami of <laughs> because one person said it, oh, well, yeah, I agree. Oh, I agree. I agree. And it's usually, I agree. I agree. it's usually based on preconceived previous ideas about football that we all agree on uh, sort of things, right? It's always based on like, well, it's common knowledge that X you should do X, and then it becomes that that sort of echo chamber is, is kind of what you're describing, right? Yeah, I, I just, I have, and, and this is going to get me blackballed from my own profession, but like, I just fundamentally reject the notion that any of us who are not spending 80 hours a week studying the game, studying the film, do, and T. Frank, you're the closest that we are going to get to it, and you know fractionally, right? Yeah. Like, you just... We don't have the scope. That doesn't mean that people don't make mistakes, that coaches don't make mistakes, that things don't happen that could have been prevented or could have been done differently from a decision-making standpoint, right? Yep. We obviously all know, uh, we all know physically that you can't catch every ball. You can't make every pass, right? That's that's the game. That is what it is. But if, if you're not dealing with, with the entire set of facts and data and consideration, which is something that I think is actually incumbent upon coaches to provide more of, to say, these are the things that I was considering. These yeah. are all, right? Like, uh, how about this? <laughs> how about, what if the kicker's just not as good at that? So, and this is this is something I was going to bring up about that is if the ball goes out of bounds in this situation, the reason I want to bring up Sean McDermott specifically is because he's considered one of the best coaches in the NFL, and he showed I think personal growth as a football as a football coach from 2020 to 2021, where in the first matchup between these two teams, he was kicking field goals inside the goal line inside the the 20 yard line because he wanted points. And he learned, and you saw in that first drive, they're going to go for it. They're going to get touchdowns because they need that against that particular team. And then there's this conversation later. So if you lose, you obviously made the wrong decision. So it's not just James Franklin who gets caught up in these things, although Penn State fans tend to bury him on that. Every coach, including great ones like Andy Reid, has been panned for his clock management his whole career. 
And it really comes down to me of like, it's only a percentage of your job. Now, obviously, it's a very important performance percentage, but all these other factors we're talking about here are there's a vast scope of things going on with a with a head coach that aren't game day, first off, and secondly, that are going on on game day that we don't really consider in these situations. Like, we just agree on those preconceived notions and then move on. And I just think that there's other things at play and there are other factors at play where James Franklin, Sean McDermott, Andy Reid, they're considering things that are not just the obvious things that, that fans and media see. The sooner we all collectively admit that we don't know what we're talking about in the vast majority of those cases in particular, the better. Because I just, I don't understand why nobody will do that, right? I, I don't, I don't get it, right? It's like, and, and look, I, I, I get that we have to talk about the game. <laughs> I get that that's part of our job. But, you know, people, people want us to like crush James Franklin for not doing this or doing this. And it's like, as Nate said, we don't have all the information. <laughs> like, I don't get it. It's so, it, it's easily one of my least favorite things about football in particular is that aspect of it. Because I think football is uniquely suited to provide those moments. Um, drives me crazy. Sorry, I just the, had to get that off my I, chest. So can I just <laughs> share one quick story? And this is going to get me in trouble like Nate. Um, 2020 in the pandemic was illuminating for me. Because there, if you've you've never been in the press box, or if you have been, you know that you're not allowed to cheer. So you're not. There's not like raucous noise in the press box. But if the windows are open, especially, it's loud in there. There are people talking. There, you know, there's the crowd noise. There's all of those things going on. Or if you're sitting where I sit, you hear the copy room. Um, but <laughs> I heard things in the press box in 2020 when there was no noise that shocked me. That I was like, well, that's not even close to right. Because, like, you know, I again, to Nate's point, I don't know everything, but I have one particular advantage that they, they provide. I sit, like, right here is the TV. So I'm seeing it live, and then I get a replay. And I'm listening to things, like, because I can hear now way down the press box. And I hear conversations. I'm like, first off, that's not a fact. Secondly, like, I don't I don't think that's right. Like, and... and I, I just that kind of is what sparked this particular conversation uh, is going all the way back to hearing the things that uh, football is a complicated game. You don't know what's going on on first watch because there's 22 people executing individual assignments on every play. Yep. So. Yeah. Uh, my <laughs> two things. One, I do a, uh, a highs and lows every game. Right. Yeah. And two of the categories are best decision and worst decision. And I feel so much better about myself when both of those can be filled with officiating. <laughs> <laughs> Judgment. <That's, yeah>. <laughs> because it is so much easier and straightforward. And, and I, I, honestly, I mean, I've, I have shadowed officials. I've been on, a, on the field for the Blue-White game shadowing an officiating crew. And even that's not that straightforward, right? Like there, there are these, they're complex, they're complicated. And so choosing best decision, worst decision, if you don't couch it in, hey, but I can't possibly know all of the, the things that were involved in this, 
you're you're not being honest. You're not being forthcoming about it. The second thing that is always interesting to me is, and for whatever reason, it just sticks out to me, but Franklin's decision to go for it on, what was it? Fourth and five at Ohio State, right? Midfield. He told everyone going into the game that that's what he was going to do. He said, yeah, we have to be more aggressive, right? Like, yeah. these are not, um, it, 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 it seems like it's an in-the-moment judgment call, and I understand that to a certain extent it is, but most of those decisions, and not just with James Franklin, this is profession-wide. Most of those decisions are made on Monday of game week. Like they've, they already know what they're going to do so that they don't have to decide. You don't want there to be confusion. Like the actual number of in-game decisions that have to be made because it's something that hasn't been considered is very, very minimal. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm not saying that, uh, again, like <laughs> this is, this is what is so ironic to me is there is a wealth of actual things to criticize. Right, like actual, yeah. actual demonstrable up or down success or failure. This hasn't happened the way that they intended. And so therefore you have fallen short of your job aspiration. That's that there, that is plentiful. Yeah. And so the, the clock management thing and the in-game, like, oh, the fake punt, it, it doesn't matter comparatively speaking. Yeah. Uh, so here's another one. And I know that this is kind of getting off topic, but um, the, going back to the game in uh, last night, you didn't. So you you chose to do what you did if you're the Bills, and you kicked the ball out of the back of the end zone. Uh, and and this is where I think the actual play of offense and defense matters. And outside of the head coaching decision, why are you playing a safety seventy yards down the football field? They need three points. <laughs> Like play your your defense all game long was prevent defense. Why are you playing thirty yards off the ball on Tyree Kill when they need forty yards? Like if you're gonna make one decision, follow it up with with the tangible next decision. So there was a couple of things, and and Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes talked about that that play that got him into field goal territory. That is a great play and a great adjustment in the moment by those two. So that's one layer of it, but it's the it's that first play of we're gonna you have three timeouts like we set the board here we know what's up, so like it's as much the defensive coordinator and the defensive players that I don't know let Tyree Kill go for seventy yards in cover two man, like so quick explanation cover two man is you've got two deep safeties and everyone's playing man coverage so the one thing that should never happen is a big play. And you've got a guy in the Bill safety who takes an angle at Tyree Kill like he's playing a tight end. Not the fastest human I've seen. So there are plenty of even, but, but you don't see all of that on TV. What we see is we see the coaching decisions, and then we feel like we can latch onto those. I just, that's, there's so many layers to this, and I'm getting off the, off the point. Are there other things you guys could take away from uh, divisional round weekend that you think Penn State fans uh, or Penn State coaches could learn from and digest and make a part of their sort of ethos. Dave, did you have anything that came up? Kickers matter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, every game, I think, right, uh, the Bengals made a game-winning field goal. Um, the Rams made a game-winning field goal. 
the 49ers made a game-winning field goal, and the Chiefs made a field goal to send the game to overtime. So, yeah, I think that's a little bit important, right? Um, maybe a little bit less so with the overtime format in college football, but, you know, if that's something that in your head you're just kind of uh, passing over, thinking it's not a big deal, maybe maybe reconsider that next time because it matters, especially in the big games. Uh, and this is ultimately, Nate, the whole point is gonna gonna roast the head coach no matter what. <laughs> you, sure. you 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 get that seat for a reason, and when things don't go right, that's what you get. Uh, sure. So that's that's really. I don't know where else to go from there because yeah. although I'm just gonna start, I'm just gonna start complaining about the Bills defense if I talk about it any longer. So can can I just add one thing that I, I thought was kind of a unique insight that I I, I found over yes, the weekend? Yes, please. Um, if you can have the best quarterback in the world on your team. <laughs> Who are you speaking of in particular? Because in, in, uh, I think that that's a debate at this point. Uh, uh, how about this? How about one of the eight best quarterbacks in the world? Yeah. I find it stunning that. that Ryan Tannehill didn't get it done. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> but... <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's that's sad for them. Yeah. So that's the other thing is like the two best quarterbacks played the best football they've played and then it does come down to these minuscule things but if you don't have like if that advantage is not in your favor that's where you start you know like that's play on the football field from the football players playing football is the first thing and the most important thing because you saw it last night it's a real boost though to have that you cannot deny it so is this going to turn into a conversation about drew aller or Eh, maybe we should get going. <laughs> Next week. <laughs> uh, that'll do it today for BWI Live. Thanks for coming on the show today. Next time, we're going to talk more about basketball. We're going to have that conversation later this week and keep up to date with the Penn State men's basketball team as they continue uh, throughout the home stretch of Penn State's uh, regular season in the Big Ten. I'm your host, Thomas Rankar. For Nate Bauer, Dave Eckert, this is BWI Live. Same time next week, Monday on YouTube. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.